0: Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man. You're listening to The Scoop on Owlscoop.com. You already know. Hi,
1: everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, Owlscoop.com's podcast. This is season seven episode three i'm john de joined again by kyle gauss sam cohn and dante Colonelli. what's going on guys what's up john you how
0: did? you doing <laughs> what's
1: up <laughs> <laughs> kyle's got glasses joining dante the bespectacle
0: podcast yeah. No matter,
2: Kyle, no do you normally film.
0: wear glasses? These are blue
2: light glasses. We were talking about this uh, when we showed up on time, and you showed up ten minutes late. Oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> These are blue light glasses that I put on just for this at the end of the day because I've been staring at the computer screen for
3: my I, my. I regular glasses are blue light. Like you, if you look at the reflection, like you can see the blue. Oh, sometimes, that's cool. Yeah, man. yeah. You just wear I contacts.
0: I went to the eye doctor yesterday and shoot, and my doctor was like, Your your eyes have probably gotten worse because every kid your age has been staring at a at yeah. a screen for the last year and a half. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm not proud of my screen time, nor am I willing to share those numbers.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's 100 percent the chance. My God. John, John and I, I think uh both kind of go to the same eye doctor at certain times, and she treats me like I'm a child, and I deserve to be treated like a child when it comes to my eyes. <laughs> Like, like, one time I went there, I was like, "What?" She's like, "How often do you take your contacts out?" I was like, "Not often. They're overnight, I can like, wear them 24 7 She's like, "No, they're not, you idiot. Read the label." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, fair enough." She's like, "So step one, let's get you on overnight contacts."
4: Doctor Krachewska, right? And I, yeah, so I... I was like, "Yes, ma'am." Like,
1: <laughs> 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 I can't, Sorry, I can't sleep with mine. In.
2: Really?
4: I,
1: well, I,
2: I've been doing this since I was like a teenager. It's just I well, can't be bothered to take them out every night.
1: Don't they feel like they're wallpaper to your eyes when you wake up in the morning?
2: Nope, mind never matter, John. It's well through it. <laughs> you just determined that it's not going to like, like the, I legitimately have ones that breathe better because they're supposed to be overnight. So I don't get that feeling. Mm. Mm. Well, here we are. I talk, iScoop.com. Optical <laughs> optical podcast.
1: <laughs> well, uh, anyway, a lot more football to dive into uh, this week. Uh, this week, we we're able to talk to Mike Jeremovich and the tight ends, Dave Infante and the running backs. Brett Dearson and the specialists, you guys got to talk to uh, Walter Stewart and some of the guys on the defensive line today. We're going to play some audio for you as well from an interview that I did with Gabe Infante separate from his media availability this week. It was a one-on-one conversation. Uh, we're going to play some part of the conversation where he's talking about his role being the recruiting coordinator. And Now there's a lot more that we got into. And If you're a subscriber to Al Scoop, you'll have access to that whole interview we've got some mailbag questions um dante and i are going to be able to go sam are you going wait you still you're still at home right so you're not gonna be a practice tomorrow
0: yeah so that's the unfortunate thing is i don't come back to philly until saturday so i won't be able to be in person for the only practice will be there for an extended period of time
1: yeah so tomorrow again we're recording this on thursday evening we'll get the podcast out to you guys so tomorrow meaning Friday the media is going to have uh, the ability to watch, I guess, what, like an hour's worth of
2: 75 practice. minutes, right? Yeah. 75, 75 minutes of
1: practice. Dante, what are you looking forward to seeing tomorrow?
3: Oh man, everything. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just excited to be there. First of all, like it, I feel like I haven't been to a live practice in forever, but I mean, honestly, like I think the best thing that we're going to be able to glean from this is just like who's running with ones and drills, yep. who's running with twos and drills because we're not going to get to see team So like, we won't get to see them scrimmage against each other. I believe they told us that if I remember correctly. So, you know, it's just going to be who comes out in the pass blocking drills, the first team O line, like who's out in the the first team D line. And then obviously just getting to see Dwan Mathis up person, you know, up close, you know, how does the ball come out of his hands? You know, as somebody with a scouting background, there is nothing more valuable than getting to see a quarterback in person and see the ball come out of their hands. You just get a better feel for how good their arm is. So that'll be interesting as well. Real quick Um, on that
2: from video it looks effortless right like we, we've talked about this like it looks like he can really sling it but yeah i would agree the in-person analysis obviously a lot more a lot more important
3: yeah i mean i am expecting to be like impressed when i see him throw because like on video like kyle said it's just like you know oof, you know and the ball just flies out of his hand so that'll be good to see but um you know i don't know how much like takeaways we'll be able to glean but it'll be nice to get like a an update a concrete you know at least i saw the team play during preseason and, and just kind of go from there but i'm excited for everything it's gonna be awesome
1: Sam, Kyle, if you were going to be going, what would you be looking for?
2: I'll echo go with Dante said football. I I would be excited just to be seeing actual football for the first time in quite some time. Um, But beyond that, I mean, I've I've, I've done a lot of – analysis i guess lately and, and conversations with people as i drop something uh <laughs> and i I'm, I'm just very interested as to what the starting defensive line looks like um i mean i think initially coming into this offseason we thought maybe kevin robertson has an inside track just because he's the only defensive tackle uh that returned but the more and more i'm thinking about it, the more and more i'm thinking that maybe that ends up being a guy like nick bags or somebody else coming in so i'll just be curious to see who's, who's running with the ones at this point see?
0: Yeah, i i'll oh. I guess I'll echo the, both of their sentiments about diminishing to see kind of like who's running with who when. Um, but if Kyle's going to pick the defensive line as one specific position, I guess I'll throw out one too. One interesting position group that like you get a lot of in media availability, you get a lot of coach speak of like, oh, or just kind of general stuff about this person's look good, this person's look good, this is why. But like the running back position, I think is such an interesting group because they've said like multiple, like both Gabe and Fonte, um, Think Mike Joranvich said it too and Rod Carey have also said like no one has stood out uh other than like Ed Sadie's been kind of that guy that has stood out but no one's separated themselves in the group Like the whole group has kind of been coming along together so to see if I were to be there tomorrow uh to be able to see those guys in action and just see like Trey Blair in his new position I think would be interesting
2: yeah I mean, I'm, I'm gonna want John to wear glasses that just like live stream it for us like just like the hidden <laughs> camera in the middle and then Sam and I are just sitting around a computer like Austin Powers glasses John gets distracted. He's just watching like a piece of trash. Like, <laughs> like John back, back to the left.
1: <laughs> or like if they're like, they really can look far ahead and I get hungry and I'm looking at a food truck. Like, oh. <laughs> no, you're not at the crepe truck yet, buddy. I, Folks, I start
2: giving you like dietary advice. I'm like, John. Think about it here. You can. You can not have the calories for
0: that. John, see, John sees his barber across the street. He just like runs over to have a conversation. Hey, diamond
2: says, cuts. Okay. Yeah.
1: I'm capable of being more focused than that. Give me some credit. Well, <laughs> um, maybe we'll we'll start again. Like so, again this week we talked to Mike Removich, the tight ends, the uh, the backs, the specialists. Let's let's start with the the running back position because that's one, and then we'll get into to the other position groups we talked to this week. Obviously, that's that's one that people, like Sam said, are going to be keeping a close eye on. So, I mean, a couple of observations out of it. Yeah, the, uh, Gabe, I think, did say that Ed Sadie has been the most consistent, right? I think that was the the word he used. We got to talk to Ed Sadie. Um, Dante and I, were ta- I think we were talking about this morning. I just have, um, I have no concept of, like, who can do what. Like, who, you know, who's good in that group of, at, like, Pass blocking, catching the ball out of the backfield. Maybe maybe Gabe saying that that Sadie's been the most consistent. I don't know if he means the most consistent runner, or if he means the most consistent in terms of being able to do a little bit of everything. I mean, one of the things that um, I'm not sure if it's in the clip we're going to play um, when Gabe talks about, I don't think it is actually. You'll hear it in the in the full interview that we have talks about yeah at some places you you want to get the one back that can do everything but you know a lot of places you need a bunch of guys that have a bunch of different skill sets and I don't think they have that but I don't know who has you know what what strength all they, they all have their different running styles and stuff but we talked to Sadie talked to Trey Blair but yeah I don't it seems pretty wide open and I don't know that I think it is a little bit more than coach speak I don't think anybody's like really taking that job um, Iris and Clement is out as they've said with like personal issues we don't know when he's coming back and we didn't hear much from rayvon bonner they didn't make him available um you know i think gabe said he's he's just an intelligent kid picking things up but we didn't get a chance to talk to him so yeah i don't i don't know what to make of that battle and i think i asked gabe like is this something you just may not know until you're a couple weeks into the season you know and but I don't know if it's going to be Sadie. I don't know if it's, you know, again, Tavon Rui still what they said. He's not a hundred percent yet. Right. And, and with all due respect to, to Tavon Rui, I think he's consistent. I think he's durable, but he's not a, not a home run back. So I don't know. I mean, that'll be something again. It's, I don't know how much we're going to be able to glean from practice tomorrow because they're, it's not team stuff, but that, I don't know that we're any closer and I don't know the coaches are any closer to figuring out who that person is, but I think that's, that was the most that Gabe said is that Sadie has been the most consistent, right?
0: Yeah. It sounds like Sadie's the one that's really separating himself and I'll, I'll credit Kyle with this. I think Kostam said this to us a week or two ago that like, it's a realistic possibility that like Sadie and Ruli are taking a majority of the reps, uh, assuming both are healthy. It's been interesting to see that back in the spring, they were kind of on this narrative of like we're just going to run with the depth and a deeper rotation as we can go. And, you know, they can those numbers could get up. And, like, now they're kind of in the mindset of it's definitely not going to be four because no one gets into a rhythm that way. It could yeah. be two or three, depending on what that sweet spot is. I mean, there's a realistic possibility. That the only – by middle of the season that Ed, Ed Sadie's the only good running back they feel like they're comfortable with. And it turns into a similar situation in the last two years where he's taking a majority of the reps – um, but who knows? They they they've all each of the coaches has said like that group has all gotten better together. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which one kind of stands out. The other um, noteworthy thing that we heard was Gabe Infante uh, kept talking about how um, how like flexible and how strong. Kyle Dobbins' hit, hit mobility has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kept circling back to the idea of his hit mobility and the way kind of he's able <laughs> yeah. to. He, he he needs less feet on the ground. Was I think the way he described it.
1: Well, I think they're. I think they're still. This is what Dobbins third year in the program or fourth, third,
2: fourth. He's a right. redshirt sophomore, yeah. but he was Just a redshirt sophomore that last year. year. I mean, Wait, yeah. no. So yeah. Fourth. Yeah, it's his
1: fourth year yeah I mean I think they're still obviously I didn't mention him at the outset but I th- think that they're still very much intrigued by what he can do it was a very good high school back and just hasn't you know hasn't put it together yet but I think they're just looking wherever they can for again whoever that home run guy might be I still don't know what they I don't know what raven Bonner's role is going to be again they they don't talk about him much we don't know when Iverson Clement's gonna rejoin the team but um but yeah D- dobbins was made available to us sadie was made available to us and then you had trey blair into that right. room and trey said that one of the things he said this week was i do feel like running back is a little bit more of a natural position it wasn't something that he really campaigned for but again he ran for more than two thousand yards right as a as a high school senior a quarterback you can throw it a little bit but he was very good at haverford so again i'll be interested to see like who you know do they get who do they get uh, involved in the passing game out of the backfield? Again, who's good in blitz pickup? I just don't just don't know yet.
3: I, I think the interesting thing about it is like they keep saying nobody stands out. And yet every time we ask them who the running back is going to be, no matter the coach or the person, it's always Edward Sadie.
1: Right? Right. And a
3: lot of times we hear coaches, right? And they'll like rattle off multiple names. We don't get that when they talk about the running backs. It's Edward Sadie. Rod said Edward, didn't mention anyone else. Uh Gabe talked about Edward bef- a lot before he mentioned everyone else was kind of in the same boat. So like, honestly, like, I don't know if it's like, you know, Johnson, you know, you said you don't think it's coaches speak. And like, I agree with you. It probably isn't. Maybe Edward isn't quite where they want him to be. But honestly, I think he stood out to them at this point. Yeah. He was the first person who they brought out to talk to us. And like, yeah. they try to bring out people who are going to play, you know, typically right, you yeah. preseason interviews. And that's all anyone talks about. Like, like you said, we haven't heard much about Iverson. We haven't heard much about Ravon Bonner. Who's a player. I mean, he's the most experienced back in the room at the end yeah. of the day, ran for over 800 yards and 10 touchdowns, three years in the big 10. Like we should be hearing about him. If he was like really pushing for that, the only name that we hear consistently, unless we proactively ask about the other running backs is Edward Sadie. So like, honestly, I expect him to be the starter. I expect him to get the the majority of the reps at this point. We heard about him in the spring too. So, so it's not like it's just a fall thing. And right. so, you know, I, I don't think they're like lying, like air quotes, lying about it, but like mm. I, they it's the only back that anyone ever brings up unless we proactively ask about the other one. So for me, I think Sadie stood out and they just, you know, they want to keep everybody involved and keep everyone pushing.
2: Yeah. I, I think Dante is a hundred percent spot on. I think, I think a lot of this is yeah. Coach speak where they're trying to get people, stay him keep him invested and not let uh, Sadie kind of rest on his laurels but what I think is interesting is if, if we rewind the clock back to when the last time we had like regular football mm-hmm. I have noticed that the coaches keep referring to 2020 they won't say 2020 they'll say like the COVID season like they'll say things like that I wonder if they're just trying to like mentally processes like well that was the COVID season that wasn't mm-hmm. real football but yeah. 2019 like Yes, there was Ramon Davis as a as a true freshman, but Jagger Gardner got a lot of run before he got injured. Yeah, he so does. I think I think in an ideal world, they want to use two running backs pretty significantly. So if we can pencil in Edward Sadie as one of them, great. I think there still needs to be a pretty good conversation for whether it's Tavon Ruley or whether it's Kyle Dobbins or Iverson Clement when he comes back. They're going to need a second running back that can touch the ball 12, 15 times a game. Cause mm-hmm. that's what it was when Jack Gardner was there. There was plenty of games where Ramon Davis would get 22 catch touches. Jack Gardner would get 16, 18 like this. Not it's not that big of a drop off between their first and second running back
1: mm-hmm. at tight end. Um, I don't want to say that there's not much to talk about there. I think they've kind of said that, you know, the David Martin Robinson and Darius Pittman are, are the two that have kind of really separated themselves. And, and Darius Pittman was talking about the fact that he was relatively healthy when he was at Purdue and has been dinged up ever since he's gotten to temple, but he's healthy. I know we heard that. I feel like they kind of mentioned James Delapasca a couple of times in the spring, right? You haven't heard as much about him now. I think it was Removich or somebody. I I think it was Uremovich, right? He said like those two have kind of like really separated themselves right. there.
2: Well he's kind of I mean your talked about the difference between their two tight ends. And right. I think they kind of lumped De La Pesca more into like he kind of fits that role. He's not as big, but the right. he fits more of like DMR's role. Like he's right. like the field tight end.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um talking about the specialists. So we got to talk to we got to talk to Roy Bell. We also got to talk to the Bubos because again, Dearson is the outside linebackers coach and the special teams coordinator. Uh, so we got to talk to Adam Barry, Roy Bell, Quantel Reigns. Quantel is another guy who um, wouldn't have been able to play last year, regardless as a transfer coming from West Virginia, I guess he didn't get a waiver decided to opt out anyway, but another guy who like Deshaun Winston, uh, you know, opting out at least right now, hasn't really hurt him because he's he seems to be the guy that would have the best shot at starting a bubo there. Again, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term, it's kind of like a hybrid, you know, linebacker safety again. You know, I know we say this every week, but sometimes people will say, "I don't know what that means." So, picture what Sam Franklin did when he was at Temple. So, Quantel Reigns is kind of the the front runner there. Um, we did talk to Rory Bell; he is on scholarship, but again, they've talked about um, the fact that it is an open competition. That at least they, the coaches say it's an open competition. And uh, and Dearson was was going on a little bit about Noah Botsford a little bit. Granted, he was asked about him, but you know, talked about how. You know, I really like that he played at a, a big time high school at St. Thomas Aquinas down in, in Fort Lauderdale. Um, uh, Rory Bell talked about the fact that oh, I'm I'm more comfortable. I can kick from 50 plus out. I just really wasn't tested from from that range. Again, I don't know how much kicking we'll we'll see tomorrow. How much you know? How much pressure these guys are going to have put on them? But another interesting battle to follow because they're not necessarily saying. Rory bells, our guy, and it's, it's, you know, we're, we're looking for a guy that's maybe like a kickoff specialist. It does seem to be open or am I reading too much into that? You think it's Rory's job to lose?
2: I think it's Rory's job to lose with field goals, at least in the beginning. Right. I mean, I think, I think that like you'd be hard pressed like, well, this guy didn't miss a field goal last year. We right. think that he improved so much in the spring that we put him on scholarship, but then September 2nd against Rutgers for rolling out a walk on freshman kick mm-hmm. at field goals. Yeah. So I think he'll at least get the first whack at it. I think right. the kickoff job is 100% pro for competition. I mean, that's something like with special teams, it's very easy to just like they have like it's easy to get metrics on practices, right? You average this amount for kickoff. You missed, you hit eight of 10 for this field goal. It's kind of easy for them to get better gauge. So it wouldn't surprise me if Botsford is the kickoff specialist, but I think Rory Bell gets first whack at the actual the sexy part of kicking the hidden right. field goals.
1: Right. And then at Bubo there again, um, with Quantel reigns, maybe seeming to have the, the, the upper hand there in that battle. Again, Thomas Joe Camara is in the mix. They've mentioned Mahima cargo, DJ Woodbury from South Jersey. Um, when we talked to Quantel reigns, and I think he said this um, in the spring as well. Like he played a, something similar um he said I've played it all I did a little bit of that at West Virginia so it's not a totally uh a totally new new thing for me there um and then also uh this week we got to talk to um the defensive line again you guys were in on that today I was not in on that so it was Walter Stewart Nick Bags what did you guys take from that session today
3: uh, I think the main takeaway that I had today was that I mean this is a group of guys where I I think we're going to see a lot of new faces on the interior, obviously. Right. Like it's just like, everybody's gone. And then on the edge, it's really, it's Manny Walker. And then it's another group of new faces. And I think it just seems like, you know, they're trying to figure out how many guys they actually feel comfortable playing. Like I asked coach Stewart, I I asked him, I was like, Hey, like, you know, how many guys do you want on game day to kind of rotate in and out? And he gave me eight or 10, Mm
2: -hmm. which like,
3: that's two backups for every spot on the line, right? Temple he has four linemen. So like, you know, I don't know if they really even have the depth to feel comfortable about having eight guys. So um, it's going to be interesting. I think one of the things that we've kind of gleaned is that they're very high on Nick Baggs, who we got to talk to today. And, you know, he kind of brought us through his journey of putting on like 40 pounds or whatever it was since he got here. And, you know, he's up around 300. Now I think he said the heaviest he weighed in was like 303, if I remember correctly. So you know he's put on a lot of weight it seems like the staff's really on him um and they're going to need him to kind of be that penetration style player at least that's what we assume um and then uh it's just a lot of new names i, I think we talked about this like two podcasts ago. i think john you know you bring this up a lot is like who's going to get after the passer on this defensive line like honestly i have no idea <laughs> i really don't know it's it's a it's jumbled i we'll, we'll have to see it'll be it'll be good to see tomorrow who's on that first team d line if we can
2: yeah, I'll I mean, go ahead. Yeah, Kyle. Sorry, I'll say I'm like, I'm not as the defensive line as a whole, I'm not super optimistic, but as far as the edge rushing goes, I'm like sort of okay with it because like Manny Walker showed flashes at time. Will Rogers has shown flashes at Washington State. The reason I kind of asked uh, Walter Stewart today about guys like Trayvon King, Leighton Jordan, and um, Tyreek Young, that kind of like in between group of edge rushers, I was like, who's backing those two guys up? Cause like, yeah, Evan Boozer is a bigger defensive end. Lance A Ture, they're saying is a bigger defensive end, but who is more of like that speed edge rusher that's backing up like a, a Manny Walker. And it sounds like it might be late in Jordan, but we've honestly been hearing that for a couple of years now. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like since like, 20, like at least last season, they're well, this is, this might be late in Jordan's time to, to take a step, to kind of get in there as a pass rusher specialist. And this might be the best opportunity that he's had in a while.
1: Well, yeah. It's like, who's that next pro that you can develop or that next fringe pro that you can develop? I mean, again, Quincy Roche wasn't necessarily on anybody's like pro radar when he first came in. And I mean, Archbong's defensive tackle, but yeah, is it, you know, you, I agree with you, Kyle, you've heard some stuff about Leighton Jordan. Can it be... He so started off they,
2: he started off even at Temple at first. His first year was an outside linebacker, right? Right. Like they had oh, yeah. him at linebacker. And kind of I mean, we were natural. even playing, they were even playing him at running back a little bit at one point. Remember that? Oh, uh, I forgot Jeff,
1: about that. Jeff yeah, I yeah. was like, well, I
2: mean, we put him at running back and he just popped. Like, so he yeah. went off that. So like you're <laughs> taking a guy who was outside linebacker, playing a little running back. He played both at what Keys Rocks? Was he at rocks or was he port?
1: Um a Keysport.
2: Boy, McKeesport.
1: Yeah, he's McKee's port. Yeah. McKeesport.
2: So he played both in McKee's port. And then now yeah. you're talking about a guy who it's his fourth year in the program, like Kyle Dobbins, where he has that opportunity to kind of carve out a role as a pass rus- pass rushing mm-hmm. defensive end.
1: Yeah. But I think at this point it's I guess it's safe to assume that again, they're not, and we've not, not that we haven't mentioned this before, that it's gonna have to be a group effort, right? You know, again, like I think if 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 Arnold Ebuchetti had stayed, he might have had the ability to be a, uh, if not a double-digit sack guy, someone in like the eight to nine sack range, would, would have been really good. And um, I mean, Will Rogers, what two years ago at Washington State had what four, four and a half sacks. He played in two games last year and opted it out. But yeah, it just looks like this. This very much a cast of characters who are going to have to spell him there again. I think we talked about this last week. Um, Jeff Knoll seemed excited about his young defensive tackles and again nick bags being being one of them but that to me running back seems wide open and and the defensive line not that there aren't other wide open positions but those two i mean really stand out to me as as much as anything all right so as i mentioned before we get to the mailbag here i want to play we want to play for you an excerpt from my conversation with gabe and fonte uh we got into all sorts of good stuff um you again, like I said, this will be available, the the full interview will be available to AlScoop.com subscribers. Uh, We're going to play a couple of clips here. Really the first two questions from our interview where Gabe is talking about, uh, you know, the program's recruiting philosophy. And again, of course, recruiting is a joint venture. It's not just Gabe, it's not just Preston Brown and and Preston is an off the field role, but, you know, it's all the coaches getting out there and recruiting, but Gabe, uh, you're going to hear him here talking about, you know, kind of hearkening back to what made the program really good when Al Golden was here. Um, you're going to hear him talking about, you know, the fact that it sounds like, you know, Rod Carey is giving him some leeway with this and he'll, you'll hear him say, well, it's more like a conversation and a joint thing. But uh, first couple of questions again, are going to be Gabe talking about his role as the program's recruiting coordinator, in addition to being the running backs coach. And then, as I said, the whole thing, the whole interview, Where he gets into a lot of other good stuff will be available for subscribers so we're going to play this portion of the interview for you and then we'll react to it on the other side i'm thrilled to be joined right now by temple's running backs coach and recruiting coordinator gabe infante who is uh kind enough to talk to me again if he's not sick of me already because he was just talking to reporters uh what less than six hours ago earlier today gabe thanks for doing this again how you doing
4: i'm doing well john thanks for having me on
1: no, no problem. Um, Gabe, you've been a lot of things in your career, a four-time state champion with St. Joe's Prep, uh, Gay Raid National Coach of the Year. Uh, you've sent a number of guys in the NFL, like DeAndre Swift and a lot of others. You're even a, a licensed attorney. And uh and now you're Temple's running backs coach, and now you've added uh the recruiting coordinator title uh to, to things. I want to start with that. Now that you're really in the mix of things and it's been so busy. Um, especially over these past couple of months. Talk to me about what you think Temple's recruiting philosophy is and if you know, if there's a footprint, because you know, I know you can't talk about the guys that are verbally committed, but if you look at the five guys that you have, it looks like there is a footprint there. And I wanted to hear you just talk about that and how you see it.
4: Yeah, thanks. I mean, when you describe me like that, I sound a little bit like Bugs Bunny. <laughs> uh you know, playing all the bases that, that's a little reference to our generation probably it's some like, kids don't, don't remember that that Bugs Bunny cartoon where he was yeah. first base second base third base so um yeah it's by the background you know yeah that so, so, sounds a little bit like so I sound a little bit like Bugs Bunny but um <laughs> no um in terms of um you know it sounds like an old cliche I feel like everybody talks about recruiting their backyard you know I feel like that is you know, a a very solid recipe for success in college football. Uh, I think everybody talks about that. Obviously, some programs have the resources and the ability to recruit on a more national level. But for programs like Temple, um, and and I've been fortunate enough to be in the city long enough to have seen the turnaround here, you know, the golden years, Mm -hmm. Al Golden years and Mm -hmm. Matt Rule years, Steve Adazio's. You know, I was I was at the prep in 2010, so I, I really saw it turn, and so I have a unique perspective as as uh, a high school football coach in the area watching gentlemen who I became very close to over the years and what what their recipe was. So I I think you know uh, I I think you know imitation is the the greatest form of flattery, and I think from the moment that Coach, you know. Uh, you know, saw it upon, and you know, thought it was the best thing for our program to put me in that position. You know, I, I, I automatically felt that that was something that we needed to do and do well. So, from that perspective, is is having a little bit of a perspective on the history of this program and when this program has been really successful and when it has been really successful, it's, 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 uh, it's taken care of the city of Philadelphia, South Jersey, um, the suburbs of Philadelphia, and then, and then key areas in North Jersey, uh, Maryland, Virginia, Delaware, obviously, uh, you know, and, 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 and those areas uh, have been very critical to the success of this program over the years. So it's not, it's, it's, I don't think it's, it's, it's a surprise. I don't think it's much of a shock to say for us to be successful, you know, we have to recruit those areas very, very well.
1: So earlier today, one of the guys from my staff, Dante Colonelli asked you, um, what the sweet spot would be in terms of the number of backs you'd rotate in. And you said, hey, it's whatever Coach Carey wants. And I kind of want to flip this around because it sounds like Rod Carey is listening to you. And, you know, obviously he's the head coach and you guys are going to be deferential towards each other, but it sounds like he's kind of empowered you with saying, hey, tell me what you see here and what, what your vision is. And it, it sounds like he's listening to you on this. And I think maybe one guy could come in and say, well, I've done it my way, Gabe. I don't really, um, you know, I know Al Golden did it this way. Matt Rule did it this way. But here's how I'd like to do it. But it sounds like he's he, in turn, has been deferential toward you. And
4: it sounds like he's listening and he's really empowering you. Am I correct in that assumption? Well, I, 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 I think it's more like a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and, and so more than him just listening to me, I think it's a, it's, it's a conversation. Uh, But I think it speaks volumes of our relationship and where it's grown over the last three years. Uh, You know, I think we've developed a great working relationship. I think, uh, I think coach has come to respect my work ethic, Mm -hmm. uh, my diligence. um, And he knows that I'm, I want what's best for Temple. You know, this is really not about me and, and coach is not about himself either. Like we're not, you know, anybody who knows, knows him knows that he really wants to do what's best for, for the, for this program, for this university. And and so we are very much uh, lock in step in that regard. So you know I think it's a conversation, and I think you know I think people underestimate how difficult it was for him to come into this area, how di- different you know being in Philadelphia is to where Coach has been. And you got to give him credit. You know he's adapted really really well. Um, you know, and I always say it's not the strongest who survive; it's the most adaptable. And and I think he understands that. Um, I think the pandemic, the transfer portal, all those things, uh, you know, it's kind of uncharted territory. It's, it's a brave new world in recruiting and college recruiting. And I think a lot of that and, and, and all those things factored together have, have created, a, you know, an opportunity for, for us to have a dialogue on, on the direction of, of the program in terms of recruiting. And, you know, I've worked really hard in that regard and coach has taken notice of that. And so um, I'm, I'm really grateful that he's given me this opportunity. I'm really grateful that, that we have that relationship where I can, I can talk to him and, and that he'll listen, you know, but, but ultimately it's, it's, it's his decision, you know, it's his program. And, and I understand that having been a head coach for a long time. So, you know, I know the value of having, you know, good assistants who take ownership in what they do and, and, and try and, and provide the best advice and guidance uh, that, that I can possibly uh, offer him. Um, but make no bones about it. It's, it's coach's program. It's, it's coach's decisions on those things. And all I'm trying to do is do my due diligence and, and, and and try and work really hard to give him the best guidance and options that I can give him. Uh, so, you know, I think that's how I would characterize our situation not so much you know uh you know in the way that he's listening to what i'm doing i'm somehow directing all those things it's a good conversation between us right now and -hmm. coach has some great ideas yeah some great ideas
1: all right so again some good stuff there from gabe and fonte you can listen to the whole thing we'll have that up on the site soon uh stuff that goes beyond recruiting you'll hear him talk a little bit more in the full interview about a little bit more about recruiting and then again a, a lot about why he does what he does. And again, if you go, if you go back and you do some research um, on Gabe, you know, coming down from Paramus Catholic, going to St. Joe's prep, obviously affected and coached so many players there. Uh, In the full interview, you'll hear him talking about like the purpose that drives him to be a coach. But what'd you guys think of that portion of the interview? Or, yeah. And so a couple of you've listened to the whole thing. So any impressions
0: of it?
3: I mean, I I thought that first portion was pretty interesting just in that, you know, I think one of the one of the struggles for Rod obviously coming from, you know, northern Illinois was just recruiting this area. Right. So it just makes sense to get somebody like Gabe Infante into that role who's so familiar with the high school football background in Philadelphia and and, and, uh, in South Jersey and all those other places that Temple wants to recruit and have that local footprint. Um, you know, he says it's like kind of a cliche to like dominate your area as a recruiter, but like, you still have to do it. Like it's a cliche because it's true, you know? So I, I think that was all good stuff. And I think it's really interesting that Rod is like being open and kind of having that conversation with him, right? Like that's what you want to see from your head coach, or at least what I like to see in head coaches is guys who are willing to delegate certain things to staff and really trust their staff. So I think it's all good stuff. It's all really interesting. We'll have to see how it works out for him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, John, uh, well, just to pile on to what Dante said, but first, John, it was a fantastic interview. Gabe was great, so I commend you on that. Um, But yeah, just to pile on to what Dante was saying about, you know, he talks so much about uh, the importance of recruiting out of their own backyard. But I thought the interesting note of what he said was like – they're trying to build connections and relationships with those schools that are in their backyard and have those extension of resources and be able to build those connections and relationships. I thought was interesting just as like a way to go about recruiting that I feel like we haven't heard much of much of any of these guys talk about.
1: I mean, I think they've had it. I think it's in some way strengthening it. I mean, like, and one of the things, I mean, like, I know that Rod has and not to get us too far off track. I know that they, okay, they reached into Chicago to get, Uh, To get Justin Lynch, they've reached into Florida, you know, South Carolina, different areas. But I mean, they have even before Gabe was the recruiting coordinator. They did, you know, they got Corey Palmer, Alex Odom, DJ Woodbury, guys like that from from South Jersey that could contribute. You get a Trey Blair. But I think you're hearing one of the things that Gabe, I think, is we've had the chance to talk about is as like really just doing a roster analysis and saying like, okay. year by year what did this roster look like when it was really good and Gabe's not afraid to talk about you'll hear him talk later on in the interview about how Al Golden was a really big influence on him uh Al helped them get the job at St. Joe's prep and you know they may not dominate their backyard I think if you know for being honest if you know again like you know they had a verbal from Christian Barmore a few years ago and then he just got really good really good and then Nick Saban could be like Come play with us, or you know, you know, Alabama's going to get who it wants. More often than not, Penn State's going to get who it wants. But you have to be able to say, hey, you know, we really need to reestablish or even further strengthen the relationships we have with the, the Camden's, the Woodrow Wilsons, the, you know, um, a lot of these local high schools, not just the local ones, but even just whatever is in that. Five hour in either direction type of footprint, and I think it's just kind of harkening back to that a little bit more. And again, I think one of my takeaways from it is again he he's, you know, Rod's listening. You hear Gabe say there, well, it's a conversation. It's not me just not necessarily dictating it to him. But you know, Rod could be, you know, wouldn't be the the wisest approach to stubborn and be like, well, I'm just going to do it my way. But it sounds like he's giving Gabe the authority to say no. I mean, you know let's run with this. You know, it has taken some time to adjust. And, uh, last year, last season was not normal. And as you heard Gabe said, we're not fully out on the recruiting trail just yet. We've had the camps, but now we can really go out there. You haven't really even fully seen yet what we can do, but yeah, I think just kind of, you know, Rod's EU could a little bit, could get in the way a little bit and say, well, I don't want to necessarily do it how Matt did it or how Al Golden did it. But, you know, again, if you're smart and you listen and say, yeah, mean, if that that model worked and he's done it in other ways. He came in, he kept the single digit tradition. A lot of players have said, Hey, they didn't, they didn't want to really, you know, try to fix things here that weren't broken. But I think with recruiting, it kind of needed a reset. And um, I guess if you're a temple fan, it's it's encouraging to hear uh, and see, you know, the biggest criticism was, Oh, these guys are from the Midwest, whether it's fair or unfair, are they out of touch or they in touch? And he puts Gabe out in front, as this recruiting coordinator, and then you bring in a Preston Brown, uh, I think two good hires, there are things that they can't can only help them and couldn't hurt them.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm going last. So I'll kind of just uh, take the remainders. But I mean, I I think that if there's any situation that could have been worse uh, to be in during a pandemic, it was a relatively new staff in a new area. So I I think it was fair for them to kind of rely on their old connections during Mm -hmm. one of the weirder recruiting cycles Mm -hmm. ever. Um, like you weren't going to all of a sudden get inroads into North Jersey when you hadn't really plucked North Jersey yet as this staff. So now that this is kind of the new normal and this is what they had to live with and that they're actually able to kind of interact with these coaches more and they'll be able to get on the road uh, in like two weeks. I, I think, yeah, smart hires. I, I, I would echo what you said, John, where you said like, I think the natural criticism of carry, whether it's justified or not was people from the outside and make look, well, he's stubborn. He's not going to adjust. And from talking to people and now from actually seeing things in, put into play that does not seem like it's the case i mean i think there's flaws to every coach i don't think flexibility is one of rod carry's flaws like i think i think it would have been very easy for him to be like look look man like i did this for seven years at, at northern illinois like we won three mac championships or two mac championships or whatever it was like i'm just gonna keep doing things my way And it seems like uh carry's at least been open to the idea of change yeah change.org
1: yeah. change.org um yeah so hopefully you guys will will um, for those of you who are subscribers, you can listen to the whole thing uh a few days from now. Um, again, a lot of good stuff in there about his relationship with Al Golden. Again, like what inspires him to be a coach. We didn't get into as much of the player-by-player breakdown of Ed Sadie, Kyle Dobbins, Trey Blair, because we had literally just talked earlier in the day. And again, you can if you if you uh subscribe to the site, you can you can read that story again. We have coverage of uh, every press con- conference every day. So we've already talked a little bit more. You've heard more from Gabe in that separate interview with reporters. Where we talked a little bit more about the player by player breakdown in the backfield. We got a little bit more into his background, the recruiting stuff uh, and stuff like that. Um, so let's get into this week's mailbag. A um, couple questions here near the end from, from D 75 uh, one football, one basketball we'll lead things off here with, With Green Street, Al, these again are from uh, AlScoop.com message boards. These are questions from our subscribers. First one here, between Clement, meaning between Iris and Clement being out and the coaches mentioning nobody in the running back room has truly separated themselves. Is this position now more of a concern than perhaps previously thought? And might Trey Blair get some carries if that's the case? If I'm reading things right, he might be our fastest running back and obviously speed is good. That's his first question. What do you guys think there?
2: I'll kind of view it from that. Is it worse than what we thought perspective? I wasn't under the impression that running back was some slam dunk position group, even we mm-hmm. with Iverson Clement. I mean, there's a reason Clement like transferred. He wasn't seeing the field at Florida. I mean, I, I right. think obviously it hurts. You, you lose a player of that pedigree. Well, look, all that being said, if running back's one of those positions that assuming Iverson Clement isn't all of a sudden out of shape, like if he comes back in a couple of weeks, like he could work his way into the rotation. But no, I mean, I think I'm still the same level as concerned with running back as I was a couple of weeks ago. They still need two or three guys to kind of step up and take the reins.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I would agree with that sentiment completely. Like I was down on this running back room even before that. And you know, I think another thing too, um you know, running back's a position where like it's less about like who produces the most and how much you just produce, right? Like in general, like even if you get, Hundred yards out of three running backs at the end of the day, you still ran for a hundred yards. You yeah, know? you can so, you can
2: moneyball it. Yeah, right. you can
3: really moneyball that position. Like I'm a huge, you know, when we talk about NFL draft stuff, right? Like running backs don't matter. Like I very much subscribe to that nomenclature. So like, and I don't mean that literally. I mean that like, you know, if Edward Sadie carries it, you know, ten times for fifty yards, say, and then you get another. 25 yards out of another guy another 30 yards out of another guy you know before you know it you're up over 100 yards and you've you know you've ran the ball the same amount of times you're going to so i'm not too worried about it affecting the team per se but i am worried about the overall talent in that room and it's i don't even know if it's worry it's more of like uncertainty like Mm -hmm. i I haven't seen these guys i don't like i don't really know what edward Sadie's going to bring to the table per se like 15 carries last year in a very limited role Iverson Clement was a special teams player primarily at Florida you know I I, it's like it's uncertainty more than worry I think for me
2: I'm just gonna say this and I'm gonna preface this by saying I'm not comparing these players to the the players I'm about to mention either way but have
1: you seen Walter Pate
2: 2009 (laughs) 2009 I heard so much crap about who's gonna be the running back is Lamar McPherson gonna be this guy blah blah Bernard Pierce takes over week three and then that's that 2019, who's going to be this? Is Kyle Dobbins going to take over? What's going on? Is Jagger Gardner going to be this big thing? Ramon Davis emerges. Like These positions, as long as you have a good offensive line, which I think Temple has a pretty solid offensive line, that you can, like Dante said, you can find a way to manufacture things until somebody kind of just takes things and runs with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, later on in that Super Bowl winning running back is going to come out of this room. (laughs)
1: Later on in that, in in the interview with Gabe, I I asked him about, um you know like what are the 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 art of coaching a running back and he was like no to be honest with you i hadn't really coached running backs before and and i asked a bunch of guys what does it take and it takes vision and we don't know in this group who has the best vision who can put his foot in the ground and cut who has good instincts he says in the interview some guys in, in our group are good with that some aren't aren't as good and i'm paraphrasing here so um again all of them are gonna have different running styles like in that um in that question there um, Green Street Owl says, and might Trey Blair get some carries if that's the case from reading things right? He might be our fastest running back. And obviously speed is good. I don't know for sure if he's their fastest running back. He is fast. He was very good at Haverford High School. I think he ran track as well. I don't truly know who their fastest guy is. But again, it's not just obviously straight line speed helps. But again, who's their best back in terms of vision and stuff like that? But again, well, yeah,
3: it's, here's the thing with vision. Sorry right. to cut you off, John. No, like- oh, it's okay. You can't really evaluate vision of a running back unless you're getting like live reps against a defensive line. Right, lineman. exactly, yeah. Especially when you run like a primary zone scheme like Temple mm-hmm. does like cuz when you're running back and you're and you're approaching the the mesh point and the line of scrimmage and a zone concept you're reading what the blockers are doing. Right? right? So you're as a running back in a zone scheme you have to make your blockers right? as opposed to a man scheme where like I'm just big man going to push other big man off the ball. Right. So yeah. it's different. And it's like difficult. Dante's primitive explanation. That. Yeah. <laughs> I am right? Big man. Big man. Yeah. So like it's tough and and I don't know, that could be a, you know, a factor of why they don't, you know, they refuse to commit to somebody because maybe they're just like, we need more live bullets to like see these guys actually make cuts. You know, I think
1: Gabe said that right. At some point I, I didn't need, I, I, you know, I, I thought he said that at some point, he's like, we're just going to have to see some live bullets. Again, I don't know if this is going to be, and it very well might be a situation where I don't know that. Well, especially if they fall behind on the road at Rutgers, they might just start throwing more, obviously, but I don't know if you're going to see a few flashes out of somebody. And then the following week, whoever that guy is, gets his, gets his confidence against Akron. And then maybe, that guy, whether it's Sadie, whether it's Dobbins, gets the bulk of the carries against BC, and then the following week you've got some time to get some more reps in there against a, a you know a FCS team like Wagner. They've got four weeks again. I'm not saying that the first four weeks, the, the non-conference games, are like these sacrificial lamb games, but you do kind of have four weeks to flesh this out before you get into conference play on October second against Memphis. But yeah, I I agree with you, Dante. I think they do really just need to not that this is brilliant analysis, just need to see some live bullets before they really figure out who the guy's going to be. And maybe it's, a, maybe it's two or three guys who are fairly competent. And then, I don't know, maybe Sam Martin is really good next year, but I don't know. Um, second part of that question uh, from green street Al, as you guys noted last week, there are many question marks with this team, but what has you the most encouraged and concerned at this point based on the limited info access and observation so far? Thanks. So what has, what has you most encouraged and what has you most concerned at this point based on what we know or don't know?
3: Um, I think the most encouraging part is I want to say like the offensive line, just in general, like, I feel like that's such a cop-out answer, but they have like so many returning guys there. Like, I feel like I feel good about that group. Like when I wrote the offensive line preview, like a month ago, I like went through and like did all their pff grades and stuff and like pff should definitely not be considered like the you know the bible on good play but you know it's it's a helpful tool and like temple's pass blocking grades are like pretty good like overall like so i think i'm pretty encouraged by that i mean just concern is like it, the theme for me is like I, I just don't know enough about this team like it, it's mm-hmm. just like the it I don't know that much about the quarterback. I don't feel like I know much about the defensive line. We just talked about the running backs feel the same way about that group cornerbacks the same way. Like there's so many transfers. There's so many new faces, so many young guys. So, you know, the, the wary, the big concern for me is like, maybe this team is just one year away from being like where they're going to be really good. Right. Like maybe right. this year is just the building block year. So like, that would be the concern for me, but I, I think the offensive line encouraging and it seems like the guys have the right mentality too you know, as far as how they're approaching this year, but.
2: Uh, I love that last part with maybe This seems just a year away. I mean, I, I think if you had to ask me for like, let's use cornerback as an example, I think that they will be able to patch together a relatively decent starting cornerback group with Keyshawn Paul and Elijah Clark and Cameron Ruiz. My concern is that next level. What happens if somebody that gets dinged up and now do they have the depth there to kind of absorb that, that I think that might be something that's a year away. Cause otherwise you're planning on like well, everybody has to be ready to take that next step up. And I'm not sure if you can accurately rely on that. There's a reason that it's very rare that football teams go from one and 11 to 10 and two in one year. There's usually that year in between where they develop the depth and they get the experience and then they take that leap. So I think that would be my fear or my concern is the fear of the unknown is our, are some of these unknown faces going to be able to step up for optimism. Again, you guys will probably feel better or worse one way or the other tomorrow after seeing it, but everything you're hearing and everything you're seeing and everything he's saying seems like Dwan Mathis might be real. I'm not saying all of a sudden he's going to go out there and put up 2,000 yards, uh, like like 3,000 yards passing and be a first-team all-conference guy, but it seems like at the very least it doesn't seem like he's going to be a bust. It doesn't seem like he's all of a sudden there's this guy that was entirely hyped. So I would say I'm, I continue to be encouraged by DeJuan Mathis. Sam?
0: Yeah, everything I kind of had in mind is, has sort of been said. I don't have a ton to add, but I, I would agree. I think that it's hard to make any concrete evaluations. I mean, I know in the question it says, like, based on the limited access and observations and just what we've heard so far. But it's hard to say that you're encouraged by a whole lot when we've only heard so much like without really seeing them and John and Dante, I think you guys will get a much better sense. And I think, on you know, next week's pod, maybe we're having a completely different discussion. Um, but in terms of encouragement, I'll, I'll back what, uh, what Kyle said about, about DeJuan Mathis, it seems like, you know, we've heard really only good things the, the kid separated himself from the pack, you know, like four months ahead of schedule uh, for when Rod Carey was originally thinking about uh, about naming a starter. So that's definitely an encouraging piece and concerned. I think we've heard three, if not four position groups say we don't have anyone that's that guy. We have a rotation, we have a group and, you know, they, you know, we, they don't have anything concrete of like, this is who we're going with. Um, it was the defensive line, the running backs. And I think there was one more, if anybody remembers, but here multiple position groups say like, you know, we have all this depth or all these guys that are kind of together without a lot of guys separating themselves is, I wouldn't go as a concern might be too heavy of a word. Maybe that's true. Maybe they really have that depth, but maybe it's just like they don't have anyone that's really above that level. So,
1: for, again, it sounds like the easy answer for what has me most encouraged is I, I mean, I think that Dwayne Mathis has the chance, albeit the chance to be the most talented quarterback they've ever had in the program. Now, again, well, let's let's see whoa. what he does.
2: Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it, well, I I think again that's what I'm saying. Let me flesh this out. Like talent, talent wise, I think he's got it. He's got a chance. Now, again, how well does he put everything together? We'll see. what what, what makes you say? Whoa, 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 whoa! I know well, it's
2: I mean, yeah, sure. And like he has the body type. That, like if you six six, and all of a sudden if you put on there 10, 15 pounds of muscle and blah blah, and like the arm, but like. You're talking about a guy that five years ago, PJ Walker was a four-year starter. Yeah, right, and right. In the no, NFL, right. Yeah, NFL, I understand. And, yeah.
1: And again, yeah. I'm talking talent-wise. And again, like, and I think people really starting to well think back to how so much like PJ still got scrutinized a ton, even as they were winning. It's like he always throws that. I mean, I, you can describe most quarterbacks this way, unless right. you're talking about the upper crust elite, but like, oh, he's still. He killed yeah. him with this pick or that pick or whatever. But no, I agree. And I, I'm definitely not trying sure. to. Sure.
2: And I mean, just to uh, explain like this the what you're saying, I mean, PJ Walker was also like the, a fairly standard Temple story where, look, Rutgers wanted him as a safety. They didn't think he was right. a quarterback. He came to Temple because he wanted to play quarterback. He right. grew, 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 and then became an NFL guy. Like, it's not like he was this short thing. talent. Right. It was something right. that developed.
1: Hey, you know, and like, and like Dante said to you the last week or a couple weeks ago, I know he had his flaws, but you know, both of you talked about this. I mean, at the end of the day, and again, he was certainly scrutinized when he got to temple. Oh, he was an elite 11 quarterback, but Anthony Russo eventually progressed to a point where like the guy was putting up numbers and as Kyle, Mm -hmm. you mentioned last week, Dante, I think you mentioned your last week, the week before guy was still a proven commodity, a quarterback. Now, maybe, maybe DeJuan Mathis is a true success story and they can be like, wow, we can really open things up with him now. But until it happens, you can't, you know. You saw the steep, steep drop off. Anthony Russo uh, is out with, you know, well, he was hurt first, and then it was COVID protocol, right? Was so, I thought
2: it was always hurt. No, Did you ever, ever have a COVID not, thing? I thought, was contact, I thought he was
1: contact traced at some point. I, 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 I could think be so. wrong. Russo Maybe, very
0: much
4: so had was.
0: Russo very much had COVID. Yeah, he yeah. was out the first. Well, he had the AC. He, he like played the joined. first. He played yeah. the first four games, and then he came, he hurt his shoulder. And the week that he was supposed to come back, he got. I don't mean to say he got COVID. He got contact. Yeah, drained. so I was That's gonna right. say he was supposed to come back against UCF. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay, okay. But as
1: Kyle, as Kyle said, they were putting up numbers before he got hurt and again i mean like the season before the guy could play so so do i Mathis he was also still
2: throwing three picks right right. like a fifth year quarterback
1: so i think as we've been talking about you see how effortless again we're talking about seeing video like how effortless it looks like you can see mathis roll that was right boom just flicks his wrist and the ball just looks like super tight we'll see how much they run him how much of that is designed run how much but it's just being creative out of the pocket that would have me encouraged the defensive line to me. And again, there are several question marks. I mean, again, not that this is genius analysis, but I mean, if they have just a bunch of guys who are kind of flashing here and there, but if they are young, if they're young, but they're not pushing people up front of I me, mean, that could get ugly on a couple fronts. If they can't generate any pass rush, then, then teams are going to have a field day on them against a group of cornerbacks who, again, you're bringing in Keyshawn Paul, you're bringing in Cameron Ruiz, but those guys, you know, you know, Paul hasn't played. Um Paul hasn't played in a year. Uh Ruiz was part of a very good Northwestern defense, but we'll see how he does. I mean, if that that could really hurt him on on a couple of fronts there, if they're just a very mediocre to subpar defensive line. I think I, I know we keep settling on the same point. I think that this might be the in-between year where I think you need to just see some signs of progress. So maybe. know if they do win five or six games even if they're a 500 team but you say well there were a couple of moments in a couple of games where it looks like um Demeric morris really might be a future star or or quite more from kentucky it looks like they were smart to recruit him or maybe rogers got you what you needed him to get you and he could be like a bridge guy i think that's what you're gonna be looking for more but again until we see it to me the, the the biggest area of concern would be uh the defensive line Next question, oh, real quick, real quick. Yeah, one go other ahead. Other
2: thing, one thing I'm encouraged about, yeah, social oh, media. Yeah. The videos have been putting out, the camp access, top yeah. notch, much better than last year.
1: Yeah, there definitely has been a significant uptick, I would say. Uh, so tip of the cap to them there. Next question here this might be a new subscriber or someone who is newly chiming in on the boards. That the screening is EYEWAH. Here's the question Would you find gentlemen please discuss? Thank you for the compliment. He might be paying us too, too much credit there. Would you fine gentlemen, please discuss the distressing lack of coverage, temple football and basketball receive in the local media, both written and broadcast in the Philly Inquirer, It seems, and Sam, I'm going to, I want to hear you talk about this. So I'm going to speak on your behalf first. Uh, in the Philadelphia Inquirer, it seems in parentheses, yes, not official that there are four articles on Penn state football for everyone on temple football. Furthermore, PSU gets high page coverage while TU articles seem buried at the bottom of the page, radio call-in shows will not take calls on TU football. The producer will politely tell you there is no interest. I find this particularly distressing. So many of the local media are TU alums or have ties to the university. Without coverage, how can the interest grow? I know the excuses that Philly is a pro town, but some loyalty and enthusiasm from media alumni will go along May. All right. I'm sure we all have thoughts on this. I want to just get this off my chest. I'm going to try to condense this. First of all, I I know this comes up over and over and over again. Um, you appreciate the question. I think you got it all backwards. I really do. People need to, they need to win. People need to show up at games and people need to engage with the content in the paper. I mean, it is, I am not breaking any news here. Penn state wins. They traditionally win. They're in the big 10. They, they, when they sell out, you got 105,000 people at the game. It's an event when temple was really on that magical run in 2015, you can't tell me that the local media did not cover the living crap out of Temple. I mean, like, again, granted, it helped that the Eagles were on a bye week, but Comcast Sportsnet had Temple post game live, pre and post game live from Notre Dame game. It was very much a big deal. Uh, the Inquirer covers Temple, but people have to. It, he, I think you've got it totally, totally reversed here. Uh, and furthermore, even if you are, if I were the sports editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer, which I'm not, I can't say I'm a Temple alum and because I am, we're going to cover Temple more. It's unethical. You don't, you don't do it that way. Now, if if you're Kevin Nagandi and like the culture at ESPN is like, you know, Scott Van Pelt might say, oh, my, my Terps did this. So he can plug Maryland. And Kevin does a lot to plug Temple. Uh, I think where people in the media can and it works, they will do it. But that's not the way it works. And I understand this whole notion but i just think it's all totally backwards newspapers and media outlets have to pay attention to what their readers are reading i don't necessarily agree with the whole fact yes some producers might say um you know, okay, if they're in the thick of, you know, during the Mike Missinelli show in the two to six hour, yeah, they're probably not taking a ton of Temple calls because people are hyper-focused on the Eagles right now and why the Phillies are in a free fall. They're not going to take a ton of Temple calls. It just is what it is. But people have to show up to games, they have to win, and you have to engage in the coverage. I guarantee you if a lot of people start, you know, uh, subscribing to the Inquirer and reading more Temple coverage, they'll get it. Now, let's talk about Sam. Uh, And I want to let Sam talk about this. Michael Wong, the the new managing editor for sports at the Inquirer, I can tell you this because I have talked to him about this. He wants more Temple coverage in the Inquirer. So yes, Mark Narducci is gone, uh, took a buyout. Now our own Sam Cohn, who again is going to be part of our staff still, Sam Cohn and Bella Moore, two Temple students, are going to be covering Temple for the Inquirer. And there are people at the Inquirer who look out for Temple and believe a lot in Temple people. Um, you're going to see more Temple coverage in the inquiry but you have to be open to like what that coverage is. If they are, a, you know, if Temple is a four and eight team or a five and five team and a six and six and six team, and then Penn state is on a, on en route to a, like a 10 or 11 win season, the big 10, there's still a huge alumni base here. Yes. You're going to still continue to see, a lot of Penn state coverage. It just is what it is. But I just personally think, again, you can't say that the inquire has this, in my humble opinion, I don't think they have this huge anti temple bias or some of the stations do they have to cover what people are engaging with. So I would encourage the temple fan base again, It's the same stop. You got to show up to games and when people show up to games and teams win. Wow. It's amazing. They get, they get more coverage. It, you, I think you have this reversed. I appreciate the question. But yes, you're going to get some good coverage in the Inquirer, I guess, we're we're completely biased here, but I think Sam and Bell are going to do a nice job. Um, And it's not you're not going to just see, and Sam will talk more about this, not just football and basketball coverage, but you're going to see some good features on the non-revenue sports as well. So you will see Temple stuff in the paper, but people have to engage with it and subscribe to it. Media companies have to, have to, have to pay attention to what their readers are engaging with. If they don't, they won't survive. So Temple people out there need to support local media i know they don't want to hear this they feel like gimme 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 we have to have this but i don't think with all due respect EY, i don't know you it's great that you want more coverage but i think you've got this flipped and you have to look at it a little bit more logically so i'm done sam i'll turn it over to you and then kyle and dante a, spec- as well. a,
0: sp- a spectacular monologue john i appreciate that uh, <laughs> yeah so when i saw this question i i went to, if you look now as we are recording on today's thursday august 19th it is 5:30 ish Mm-hmm. um there are more temple football stories than there are penn state stories there we go so that's just so the, the statistically it's just wrong there are more temple stories and that's dating back you know the last over the last two weeks there have been more two three weeks whatever it is mm-hmm. there have been more temple football stories and that's excluding other temple other whatever stories that uh, bella or myself have done um since we started just a couple weeks ago now granted we're not. Uh, at the Inquirer, we're not writing a, as much as how scoop is. I mean, between Dante, John, and Kyle, as much as you, got, you guys are writing something every single day over the last couple of weeks through the entirety of fall camp. There's just not the readership for that at the Inquirer because Philadelphia is more of a professional sports. Side. Despite how prevalent college sports are in Philadelphia, it's more of a... Pro sports on people want to read about you know the Sixers off season and what's going on with Joel Embiid at the Enquirer rather than what I have to say or what Bella has to say about Temple football. But the admittedly there is more Temple football content than Penn State content right now. I agree with what John said that when the team is winning, when people show up, when people engage with the content, um, they'll maybe either see that more or there will be different levels of content at different points. Um, But right now, and I think you'll see this grow uh, over the next year and beyond is, you know, the temple content and the city six schools specifically, you'll see each of those schools, that content grow for temple, um, or excuse me, for football, for basketball and for Olympic sports.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I guess I'll harp on is that last part where it says without coverage, how can the interest grow? Yes, yeah, it, that's... It, it's yeah. It's 2021, man. I mean, interest in programs are not going to grow through the print media. They're going to grow because of social media. They're going to grow because of winning. They're going to grow because of putting players in the NFL, things like that. Uh, don't want to undermine what sam's doing whatsoever but i don't think someone's reading a game story about temple being like you know what i'm, I'm going to the next game like it it should be a result of winning not a yeah. a spark to make a team start winning
1: yeah dante anything you want out here
3: no i mean i think john i think your whole diatribe kind of got it everything that i wanted to say yeah, I Dear think, god man no, it was good it was good i mean i think you know um it's easy like i'm not a i'm not a temple fan right so like i think it's easy as a fan like right you have this perception of your team that like you know we're really good and like our team's really interesting and it's like you know i I like temple obviously i go to school here but like temple football is like mid-tier football at the end of the day and like i I think people need to have certain set of expectations for how it's going to be covered like john said right like when they're really good. Yeah. They're going to get the coverage. I mean, I remember, you know, going to college game day when I was a sophomore in high school, like I went out at an independent small or whatever. And I sat there and like, that was really cool. And I got to see all the temple gear. Right. And like, obviously I ended up going to school here, but you know, they're really good. Like temple largely for a long time has not been a good football program. Like, I, I don't like, I, I'm not trying to, to poke at the fans here, but like, if you're the inquirer, like John said, like, you know, Temple's been pretty bad. They've had a couple of good seasons, you know, even the eight and five years, right. The last couple of years where they went eight and five, I mean, they got smacked by ACC teams in their bowl games. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you go and people, Penn State's better. Like, I, I don't like really know how to frame that better for people. Like people care more about Penn State than they do about Temple at the end of the day. Like there's just more people that care about Penn State football than Temple football. And I know that hurts to hear, but as Temple fans, like, you know, you guys, like, they need to start like filling up the lower bowl of the link sometimes, you know, like as a reporter, right, we go to games. I mean, there's just a ton of empty seats. If you're the inquirer and you see that, why are you going to send more people to cover that game? If there's like barely enough fan interest to fill the lower bowl of the link at the end of the day. And I know like a lot of what we're saying is harsh, but, you know, these media companies, I mean, they really have to worry about their bottom line right now. You know, like it is not a good time to be a media company. So they have to worry about their bottom line. So they're going to cover the things that people are going to. So I, I agree with John. I think, you know, this is a good question. I'm glad we talked about it, but I think you have it flipped.
2: And it's I, I will. Very, much better use of time to talk about how the Phillies are about to get swept by a last place team. No,
3: yeah. I don't want to talk yeah. about that. But don't bring that up. But um, the, I mean, I'm again, sick.
1: and there are people like Anthony Gargano will talk. Temple stuff like at the fanatic, like they talk. I mean, back again during the 2015 season, that week leading up to the Notre Dame game, one morning they had uh Kirk Herbstreit Street on me, and I would joke around because the lineup was like they had they had John Oates from Holland Oates, Regis Philbin who had gone to Notre Dame, like their morning show was dedicated almost entirely to talking about that game because it was a big deal when hassan reddick was a first round draft it got covered plenty i mean people media companies will still come to the campus to cover good stories but again I, I can't emphasize this enough i can't if if you're a fan base and you're saying like the media needs to cover us more to drive interest in the program you have it the a whole other way around you just do you cannot like you know because i mean like it could be above a, a a flip of it like there could be a huge scandal here. Well, the media will cover the crap out of it, but you don't want that. Like, it has to be a more organic thing. You have to go to games. And again, I, I certainly think if on a Saturday, if Temple beats, um, all right, let's say, let's say it this way if they beat Rutgers on September 2nd and the game's over like 9 30, 10 o'clock, and maybe like Devon Givens is on the Fanatic, if you're a Temple fan and Temple fans are excited about Temple beating Rutgers you call the producer there. I want to talk temple. I want to talk temple. I want to talk temple. They will talk temple. I don't work there, but my guess would be that they will talk temple on a Saturday. Um, if you're coming out of a game, sure, they're going to be talking Eagles before, but if a bunch of people keep saying like, Hey, I want to talk about temple. They'll be like, all right, well, we're talking Eagles, but if you want to make your temple point, go ahead. You have to do it. You just have to do it. So, I mean, like, I like the passion here. I think more fans need to, to, to think like this person, but it has to be a group effort. So all uh, right, next question here comes from HBG Al. Is there any word from the staff on how, on how Onassis Neely has been performing? We believe he's hurt. Again, we don't have specifics. Um, I think earlier this week, Abe Infante said with with um, with Iverson out and Onassis Neely out, or Onassis out, um, believe he's out. We'll try to get more information for you there, but that's pretty much why. And again, we can try to follow up and see what we can find out tomorrow, but we'll believe he's hurt. Uh, Last three questions here come from D blaze 75 five. Two are football related. One is basketball related. He's got them numbered out here. Uh, question. Number one, he's got a couple of complete these, complete the sentence questions for us. Number one, complete the sentence. Temple beats Rutgers. If dot, dot, dot. Let's go around the horn. here, Kyle more points. Thank you. Sam.
2: Yeah, right. uh, if they, well, I'll say this Rutgers offensive line sucks. Like, it's a bad offensive line. It really is. The issue is that Temple's defensive line has so many question marks like we've talked mm-hmm. about. And I, the, Temple beats Rutgers if they get a legitimate pass rush presence from their interior defensive line
4: mm-hmm. is
2: how I'll boil this down. Because if they're able to if, – if, if Quay Mahone comes in and he's just like legitimately like, look, this is the guy that got a, a tackle for a loss against Alabama. He's got sacks against Louisville and all that stuff. If he's able to come in and become like a legitimate guy – then they have a chance at really disrupting uh, records offense. Records offense is not good. Their defense is legit. Their defense is a legitimate defense and it might be one of the best ones Temple plays this year. Their offense is not. So if Temple's defense is able to kind of clamp down through the defensive line, they win. Date? I don't think that happens,
1: though. Dante?
3: Um, I'm going to take the the flip side of that and that Temple wins if... Uh, they can throw the ball in the Rutgers secondary. Uh, I think Rutgers has a ton of future pros in that secondary. I don't know if they're going to be high picks, but I think they will be NFLers, whether that's day three guys or UDFAs. So if Mathis can come out there, and I mean, this is like, you know, obvious, this is not groundbreaking analysis, right? If your quarterback plays well, you'll win, but, yeah, you know, as a new quarterback, it's going to be his first start with a new team. I mean, if they can go out there and throw on that secondary, I mean, that takes away Rutgers' biggest strength, at least in my opinion. So I think that'll be very obviously not very
0: groundbreaking,
3: but a huge part of the game.
1: Sam?
0: I, in this moment, don't know enough about Rutgers to give you like a strong analysis. So I'll just kind of back uh, back what Dante and Kyle are saying. All
2: right.
1: Move on to... Uh... Second you question.
2: Just, you're not, you're not going to give an
0: answer.
1: No, I just. I, I mean, I would agree. I don't know that I have anything much else that, to that's add. That's actually a good okay. question.
2: Does game week start next Thursday? Like, if you're temple prepping, are 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 you starting a week beforehand? Uh, August twenty well, sixth.
0: They started. Pre- they probably started prepping once they found out they were playing Rutgers week one. No. Oh no. I guess I no. No, that's not there. how it works. Right. I mean, norm,
2: normally, like they legitimately like with preseason, camp, like they'll repping, to no. They'll try to get their own stuff in, and then they'll get the game wow. plan for Rutgers in like a, the week up. I mean, like, right now,
3: they it. might be doing like scout team stuff, right? Like they might be training the scout team for Rutgers right right now because that usually takes like an extra week to get them like down so that the week before you can actually start practicing against what you're going to see. So they might be doing that, but.
2: Yeah. Let's be curious if like, with it being a short week, do they start on Sunday or do they start on on Thursday? So it will be interesting because we don't know enough about Rutgers yet. I'm sure that Temple does has done their scouting. Like Sam mentioned, I mean, Brett Dearson today or this week talked about their special teams about how that team up North quote unquote. Is good because they have good players on special teams, but will be
1: That's the other thing I was gonna add in. I mean, I don't have a ton of other things to add other than like, yeah, I mean, if one mathis goes out and has a good game against that secondary and can, can can keep a couple of plays alive where you say, you know what, they don't do that with Anthony Russo last year. Mathis makes a couple of plays that you think okay, that's an indication of what he can do. And if they don't, if they have a good enough game. On special teams, if Roy Bell knocks through a couple of like 35 yarders and doesn't hurt you and they can just not get hurt in the field position game on special teams, then yeah, I think they can, you know, again, I don't, I don't know if they win, but I think that I think special teams has to be a part of it. And I'm not talking about them going out and like blocking three kicks and, and returning to or anything like that. But if they are competent and they don't hurt themselves there, I think that has to be part of it. That's like the only other thing I I guess I would. uh,
2: Going
1: going off of that
3: real quick, like Rutgers return man, uh, Aaron Krushik, I believe his name is like, he's like one of the best in the country. Right. So like just keeping the ball away from him. It will help. The problem is, yeah. they
2: also added former Temple commit Joshua Youngblood, who was an All American kickoff returner at Kansas K-State. State. So, yeah, so I mean, Shiano, Shiano teams are always crafty with special teams, right? Like it's a facet of the game. And yeah, I would agree if they're able to kind of just not get caught with their pants down with some of these more interesting plays, then obviously that helps.
1: Yeah, and this is where you know, like, I mean, like, where did that phrase th- come from? What's that?
2: Is not getting caught with your pants down? Is that about like? Being caught having an affair? Like what where, where's the phrase? I,
1: I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's a great, great question. I've never looked it up. I'm not not uh not really sure. I just imagine a young Kyle Gallus asking his parents, oh, what you got, do you he do? got caught with his pants Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Oh God. Oh. Every year, every year you outdo yourself. Um, how do I come back from that one? Dear Lord. Um Didn't Dearson say at some point, like at some point this week, he talked about, like, didn't he mention like, Hey, it was rare that like guys like Sean Bradley and Sam Franklin, didn't he say something about like those guys wanted to be on special teams. So if you feel like you have a good group of like red shirt freshmen or these returning freshmen that are getting the extra year because of COVID, I mean, this is, again you could say this about any game, but like, this is a game, like go out. You've been yearning to play regular quote unquote, regular football for a year. Well, go out and you know contain a couple of these return guys and say hey I helped them win a game here because we didn't get hurt on returns or we didn't you know I didn't completely blow my assignment on, on kick coverage or something like that. I think that has to be part of it and I'm not trying to you know drive the same mantra about special teams, which is there because they haven't been good there but I think that has to be part of it in terms of them going on the road and, and pulling off an upset here. Um, question number two from dblaze 75 name a player on O and D. That has not been mentioned much at all so far in camp, but you think will make an impact and surprise people by the end of the season doesn't have to be a significant impact. So it's like he juices us up with the question. He's like, ah, it doesn't have to be that big a deal. So name a player on offense and defense has not been mentioned much at all. I'm, I'm saying this out loud again, second time for myself.
2: I'll say, I mean, I, we, I specifically asked him about him today and we talked about him earlier on defense. I think Leighton Jordan has a chance to have yeah. a role in this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he might have gotten lost. Or maybe it's somebody like Trayvon King. Like there is going to be a fourth defensive end. I'm like, right. Offense, I'm just going to go really not like super obscure, but like a little obscure with it. I think historically at Temple, there's always been a role for like a walk on tight end to actually see time. Mm-hmm. Like you saw with Chris Myrick. You saw it with um, uh, Nick Picosy last year. I think Noble there's a there's a chance that Connor Noble mm-hmm. has a chance to like carve out something. I don't think he's gonna play eighty snaps a game. I don't think he's gonna play eighty snaps all year. But if you want me to get really down level with it, I mean Connor to-
0: Noble. Connor Noble, sorry, I mean to cut you off, Kyle. Connor <laughs> Noble played really well in their scrimmage on Saturday. Right. He right. was like exactly. the only Con- highlight for the offense.
2: Con- caught two touchdowns. Was running with the ones a lot. As a, I mean, he has the pedigree. His dad played with the Cowboys. His dad was the defensive line coach at Temple. His dad's defensive coordinator at downtown East. Objectively, the worst Down Town uh, high school. So, <laughs> like, there, there might be a role for Connor to kind of see the field. That's
1: a good. That's a. That's a good pick. I don't know that I have, uh, I don't know, Dante, I'm going to punt to you on this and Sam, I guess I uh,
3: this a thought, man. I don't know. I think offense, someone tall has to catch the football. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, Quasi Evans maybe would be like my pick or like Ronnie Stevenson. I don't want to give two, but like, I feel like one of those two guys is going to have an opportunity to make like a couple of plays in the red zone, uh, this year. So that could be like a, a minor role. We haven't heard a ton about them. We did talk to Quasi, but we haven't really heard a ton about them on defense. I don't know. I mean, it, it feels weird. Like saying Quantel reigns, but like, we haven't, I know we talked to him, but like, we haven't heard a ton about him. We really haven't heard much about that Bubo position. It's right. like, there's like three dudes that they even list on the roster as a Bubo DJ Woodbury's still listed as a linebacker for them. So like,
1: mm-hmm.
3: we haven't heard a ton about him and you know, that Bubo spot in this defense is like important. Like you can't, you know, If that's a problem, then the whole defense is going to leak. That kind of happens when you run a 4-2-5. If the the extra five isn't good, you're kind of screwed. So that would be my pick, even though we've heard a little bit about him. I don't know. We've heard a ton. So
0: Yeah, I would think –
1: Oh, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead. Sorry.
0: I don't have a great one for defense, but I'll give one for offense. Uh, We haven't heard much of anything about Devon Fox, um, who – saw snaps and saw reps and you know for for the role that he was playing last year was you know solid so i think he could be someone that can, could, could emerge in that receiver room
2: i think that's super important for the future too i mean you're looking after this year you're losing Jaden blue you're losing randall jones you you assume that Ahmad anderson is going to at least be like a serviceable a, wide receiver at this yeah. level but like they need another guy and devon fox who was a fairly highly recruited kid uh, He had some legitimate offers um might be might be that guy and real I, quick, I think uh, Dante mentioned Ronnie Stevenson. Like, yeah, like that's a guy whose name. Didn't somebody say last week? like, surprisingly, Ronnie Stevenson's been playing well, practicing well. One I of forget. his own teammates.
1: Yeah, one of his own teammates was...
2: Uh, that's not a guy. I mean, he's the got Cornish? the size. And, yeah, he's got the size. Was style. it Freddie? Was it Freddie
1: Johnson who said it, it? might have been Freddie. And then, now now granted, I asked you, Removich, this week, and kind of playing off like what Dante had talked about in our podcast last week, where he's like, you know, who is that outside guy, you've got a bunch of slots and look, if they can produce, maybe it doesn't hurt you as much, but I asked him like, do you have, I forget exactly how I asked it. Do you have a taller receiver? And I mentioned Ronnie Stevenson. And I, and I kind of felt like he was waiting, <laughs> almost like waiting. Whatever John mentions, I'm going to chime in on and say something nice. To I said, Ronnie Stevenson, he goes, Ronnie Stevenson's had a nice camp. And he kind of, I don't know if they are kind of like really hoping that Ronnie's going to take off and put it together. Cause if you, if you see Ronnie, if you see him walking around, he's a big, He's a legit 6'4, 6'5. He's got the look to him, he's got the size, just has to put it together. I was going to mention Ahmad Anderson. He's not like necessarily an unknown commodity, but I think, like, if he comes in and can be, I don't know, a guy that like comes in and just adds, like, just if you, like, you said, if he's serviceable and if serviceable is like. 35, 38 catches, like isn't dropping it, and like can take some pressure off of off of Jaden and Randall Jones. I think there's a guy where you could say, all right, you can't just focus in on those two guys. And on defense, I agree with you, Kyle. It has to be whoever that next edge rusher is, whether it's Leighton Jordan, whether it's like a, you know, if we're sitting here in November and saying like, wow, they can really be excited about Mahim McCargo. And even if it's like in a game that they lost, but Mahim McCargo had like two and a half sacks and and played really
2: well, you could be like, all right, at five foot nine, what's that? At five foot nine, are you thinking of Dysher Clary? Mahima McCargo is a boobo, like he's tiny.
1: No, I'm sorry, sorry, yes, yes, I'm thinking hey. of Clary. Uh, sorry, sorry, my fault. Dysher Clary um, or Leighton Jordan. Sorry, yeah, McCargo's more of a boobo. Um, wrong, uh, Woodrow Wilson guy. My fault. Um, but yeah, it's. I think we have to be talking about one of those. One of those guys at some point at some juncture of the season to say, okay, he was uh, he's the next Ebiketti, the next Quincy Rocher. I think they have to kind of keep that that streak going. I'm not talking like a like a first rounder, but someone you can say they got him in, they developed him, they coached him up. We don't know who that person's going to be. I think that's that's something that that has to uh come together for them. Um, third question this is basketball related. Uh, from DBlade75. <laughs> Complete this sentence. Temple makes the NCAA tournament this season
0: if. Ooh, ooh, basketball. Go ahead, Sam. So. You have <laughs> a phone. Um, I have two thoughts. Um, well, I'll, I'll preface these thoughts by saying I think it's fair to assume. One thought. You're um, going to take everybody's crap. One thought. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, all right. I'll preface this by saying I, I think that. You got a laser uh, pointer out to say. It's fair to say that <laughs> Jeremiah Williams, Caleb Battle, and Damian Dunn individually take steps forward. Mm-hmm. I think them having an offseason, them playing together in a normal year, I think it's fair to assume they take some something of a step forward. So the difference maker for them making a the tournament, um, if I'm only allowed to give one, then I will <laughs> say uh, they're, if they can kind of figure out and iron out their front court in terms of, Does Jake Forrester take a step forward, and is he offensively what they need him to be, and can he stay in the game? Is Emmanuel Ocpomo the kind of guy that is serviceable in the sense that he can protect the rim, play defense, and if Jake Forrester does get into foul trouble, he can ease some pressure off him uh, in terms of defending uh, defending the post, defending the interior, and defending opposing team's big men? And is Sage Tolbert everything he's chalked up to be as a freakishly athletic rim runner um, that can – potentially space the floor uh so is, is he everything so i think it a lot relies on does sage Tolber complement the big core or complement jake forrester well and is emmanuel palmo a straw uh, like a decent serviceable piece off the bench that can help in mckee's vision to go eight or nine or maybe even ten deep
1: kyle dante
0: i, I know what kyle's that. i
1: know what kyle's gonna say he's already saying that was not just one thing he's i don't <laughs>
0: know i mean
2: i think we all knew that
0: we yeah. know, okay. <laughs> saying those good stuff i'm just teasing you
3: i don't think i'm i'm qualified to really answer this question i don't really cover the basketball team that much my my like uh outsider perspective to the basketball team is that like this is going to sound really dumb and i played basketball in high school so i should have a better take than this but like they just don't shoot the ball well enough you know what i mean (laughs) like it's just like bad shot selection and like poor shooters all over the place like they need to find some like actual three point production, at least in my opinion, again, but I don't know if I'm like qualified to answer that question.
2: I, I had like a nightmare scenario where Dante was going to like undermine himself, undermine himself. Like, I don't know shit. I'm useless. And then give what I was going to say. I was gonna be like, oh, <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think I think the most important thing for this year and for the next two or three years for Temple is Caleb Battle and Damien Dunn learning to play together like getting better at playing together at the same time. And we've talked about this ad nauseum. Caleb Battle's best games came when Damian Dunn was injured. And I think those two are the cornerstones of the franchise, for lack of a better phrase, at this point in time, that they need to get more comfortable playing the yard. So if all of a sudden that they are able to manufacture, like, that relationship that feels like they've been playing together for 10 years in the span of a year, then, yeah, Temple has the talent, I think, to make a run to be a pretty decent team this year.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's a very relevant point too. I mean, I, I kind of like the, the Sage Tolbert piece of things where like, and again, it's not like Aaron says this outright all the time, but they kind of, they want to play like Houston. They want to play like Florida state. They want these long and rangy athletic guys. And if Sage Tolbert can be what you hope he can be and why you were excited about him. I mean, they were legitimately excited when they got him as a, a transfer out, out of uh, Southeast Missouri state they don't have that guy on the right wall. They're hoping that it's him. They need that guy on the roster that can, I know this is like more of a football term, like extend, extend plays or extend, extend possessions. Like how many times again, you know, like they, they have to get past this hurdle of trying to maybe beat Houston and Houston just kills them on loose balls. Every single loose ball, every tip out on an, on, a, on a rebound. They just have it down to a science. Can sage be that type of guy or a guy that's like, you, know, you look at the box, box score after the game. Wow, Sage Tolbert got them four offensive boards, came in, played 22 minutes, and shut down this guy um, and kept you know kept, the, kept this possession alive. Like Maybe Caleb Battle comes down, forces a shot because he's feeling it, and Sage Tolbert tips the ball out, out to Damian Dunn. He settles it down. They get a much better possession. Or let's say optimistically tips it out to like uh, Hyster Miller, and he settles them down. Oh, you see some leadership from him. I think he can be a big... Big catalyst for him, I think. You know, again, he's had the chance to practice with the team for a year now. I realize he played in the in the conference tournament game against USF and didn't do much, and people were like, "Oh, I didn't see much from him." But I think you need to see. I think he has to move the needle in some way. I still think they're a year away. Uh, If if they are a tournament team next year, I think Aaron McKee should be uh you know the coach of the year in the conference just like I think that the football team is a year away from being really really good and I think this fan base might have to live with that but I I like the Sage Tolbert piece of things that and Caleb Battles to become a much better ball handler
0: yeah I'll, I'll throw out Mike because neither of no one else took it I'll throw out the other thing I was going to say um but I'm just waiting was waiting, so waiting in the weeds I hope they don't say I, it. I I w- uh, yes <laughs> um John I do agree with you that Sage Tolbert could be the guy that kind of helps them play more like Houston in terms of, as you said, extending plays and getting offensive rebounds and creating more possessions for them. Um, if like, like kind of we were describing about the, uh, the front court evolving into a, a rotation, a serviceable rotation that works the way they want it to, if, as Kyle said, um, you know, Dame Dunn and Caleb Battle can play together and Jeremiah Williams can be that facilitator of the offense for two scorers on either side, those are huge, huge, huge steps forward. I don't think they're a tournament team next year. I think they're close, uh, but I don't think they're there yet. I think the guy that can move the needle if he stays healthy is Julio White. He's hurt his knee two years in a row, but every single person that has seen him play has spoken very highly of him in the sense that he can guard the one through the four. He told me he he thinks he can guard the five, but that's not really realistic in basketball. Uh, So it's just a very different position to be able to defend. So he can guard the one through the four, um, and if, if offensively he can play inside, if he can play inside out, if he can kind of roam along the three point line, if he can bully down low, if he can be that guy that, that can play in different lineups and different sets and do different, you know, be ver- a versatile scorer on both on and off the ball, I think he could be a needle mover for them.
1: One last thing. And again, we'll, we've got weeks and weeks to talk hoops, but as we're thinking about this question, Is this a big season for, I agree, he's only been in the program for a year. How important is it for Quincy Adam McCoy to show something great based on how excited people were about him? And now you add Jaleel White in, um, how important is it for him to find a role? And do you need to see something out of him before he, again, this is very speculative before he feels like the odd man out. Is that something that you have your eye on there?
2: I have my eye on it. I think it's very important for uh, including a name you didn't mention. You also add Zach Hicks to this team, right? So, like yeah. it's the same thing. Where like if hey, Quincy, this is your time. You got to carve out this role because there's guys that are trying to take those minutes from you.
1: Mm-hmm. And you can I see think, the yeah, shot yeah. again. Oh, go ahead, Sam.
0: No, I just uh, to answer your question. I think if and I guess Kyle kind of answered it too. Is that you're, like if you're Quincy, you need to figure it out soon because. Who knows what Ty Strickland looks like this year? He was supposed to be their starting point guard. He was supposed to be a, a, like a, a get serious minutes in that backcourt. Um, if you're Quincy, you are, and Ty Strickland is is we presume he's healthy at the moment. We presume he's been practicing with the team. Um, I guess I can't say that for sure. We don't know that officially, but uh, if he can be what he was supposed to be at the beginning of last season, that's more minutes that's taken away from him. So if you're a Quincy, you kind of need to figure out where you fall in a backcourt of jeremiah um and uh calif battle and damian dunn and maybe ty strickland and then when it's Kyle Munchin, you add zach hickson in the mix you add a steer miller into the mix you add a white in the mix like it's getting crowded those uh, you know three guard spots
1: well Some good basketball talk, a lot of good football talk. Thanks for being with us this week. Again, uh, thanks to Gabe Infante for spending some time with me this week. And thank you, of course, to Kyle, Sam, and Dante for being with us again on the podcast. We will talk to you guys by this time next week when we're talking to you again on The Scoop. We'll be a week out from the season opener on September 2nd at Rutgers. So thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week.